I enjoyed seeing the mission friends and the GAs and the RAs. And that was a, a blessing. I'd like you to open your Bible tonight to the 46th chapter of Isaiah. And the message tonight asks a question. And that question is, who carries your burden? You might be carrying your own burden, or you might be depending on something else or somebody else. Well, tonight's message is addressed to all of us who have, at one time or another, turned to something we look to as a substitute for God. You leaned on it. You depended on it. You, you looked to it to secure your future. You made your plan according to its faithfulness, and you hung your heart on that substitute. Now, what might serve as a substitute for God uh, for your life? Well, it might be an idol or a false god, but in this passage of Scripture we're going to look at tonight, we're going to discover that it, it was out of that, uh, out of a time in the lives of God's people when they were depending on false gods and they turned to substitutes for God, that some of the most encouraging words of Scripture are spoken. Uh, now, their substitutes were idols that they made with their own hands. They carved them, they overlaid them with gold, they painted them, they called them, worship, they called them gods, they worshipped them and bowed down to them. They depended on these idols to protect them in times of trouble. They depended on them to provide for them in times of need, and they depended on them to save them in times of distress. They were not the God of heaven, but substitutes for him, and sorry substitutes uh, at the best. Well, listen to the Lord himself describe the illogical nature of their trust in these idols. We're going to look at the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 46. Uh, first, he identifies that in which they were trusted, trusting. He names the idol. And so tonight, as we think about their idols, what I'm going to be asking you to do is to name your own idol. Call it by name, recognize it, acknowledge your trust in it, and ultimately see its weakness, placing all of your hope and your trust in God. Now, you might be sitting here tonight thinking, well, I don't have any idols in my life. Certainly there's nothing I'm trusting in in place of God. But Isaiah 46, verse 1, Baal, B-E-L, it says there, has bowed down, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beast and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but they themselves have gone into captivity. Now, I know those words are really confusing to you if you just look at them, but Baal and Nebo were the names of Babylonian gods. You remember God's people had gone into captivity. The children grew up living in a pagan culture, and, and many of the people had grown accustomed to this pagan culture and really had begun to worship some of the gods of that culture. And Baal and Nebo were, were basically often huge, jeweled, embellished statues that were worshipped by these people. And so some of God's own people had grown up to trust these idols and, and, to, and to worship them. Well, first... The first point of this message is, and, and the message has some other points down through the way, but this, this passage of Scripture comes as a rebuke to those who trust in substitutes for God, whatever those substitutes might be. And what God was doing, God is calling His people 
to return to him and to relinquish their trust in these substitutes. It seemed to them that these gods were, were the ones that held them prisoner. You know, that's the way people thought back then. Well, the gods of the Babylonians must be stronger than our God because the Babylonians conquered us and the Babylonians took us prisoner and the Babylonians have kept us prisoner for all these years. So their gods must be stronger than our gods. So they began to trust in these gods, depend on these gods, placing their hope in these gods made out of nothing more than wood and gold and precious jewels. But now, as their captivity was beginning to end, things were falling apart around them. Babylon essentially was falling apart at the time. If they had only opened their eyes, they would see the weakness of these substitutes. And so God calls their idols by name. He says, Baal is bowed down and Nebo has stooped over. And there are two reasons for this. One is literal. What was happening at that period of time in the history was that these statues were coming down from their pedestals. Now, last summer, we all remember the time in our history when we saw people pulling down statues. Well, they weren't pulling down these statues because they didn't like them. They were pulling them down because they needed to move them. They were loading them on the beast of burden uh, and, and preparing them for shipment to a place of safety. So one thing is they were coming down, but the second thing is saying here that these people had placed all their hopes and dreams for the future and all their needs on these idols, and now it had become too much for them. The idols themselves were stooped under the burden of it. They were bent under the strain of it. They weren't sufficient for the need. They couldn't carry the burden of the people who had placed their hope in them. Now, Baal and Nebo, again, were these false gods. They were trusting as a substitute for the gods of Israel, and they were failing them at that very moment. False gods will always fail. Substitutes for God will always fail those who put their trust in. Now, are you willing to identify your substitute? Now, I think that some of us have all turned at one time or another to some substitute for God to take care of us, but you'll have to name your own. And remember, these idols, these substitutes, always collapse under the strain, under the weight of our need. Uh, they, are, they fail, they are not faithful, they are not consistent, they can't be trusted, even though you personally may be trusting in one or more of them right now. Here's one. Sometimes we trust our health as a substitute for God. In other words, as long as I have two strong arms and a strong back, I can take care of myself. That's the way men see it. As long as I'm strong, I can feed my family. And then one day your health fails and your strength fails you. The burdens of life get too heavy for you to bear, and you can no longer depend on your health or your strength as a substitute for God. But health is not the only substitute. Some depend on the dollar. For them, their substitute is money in the bank, money that they've invested, money they've saved. Then one day, the investment fails, or some unexpected crisis leaves cracks in the nest egg, or the stock market fails, and the God, the substitute for God, the God they expected to be there for them, fails, falls, bows down under the strain of their present need. It's simply not sufficient. It can't do the job. 
And remember, I'm not asking you to judge the value of these substitutes, but to name your own. And in some cases, for some of us, and it's true, we depend on a partner in life, a spouse, someone we depend on for fellowship or guidance, perhaps even is our protector and our provider. Then suddenly, we find ourselves alone and anxious and afraid, and we feel abandoned. For other people, it's their job or their career. It's everything to them. And then one day they lose that opportunity. They lose its resources. They lose its security. And they lose hope. It was their substitute for God. It was something that we thought, something we thought would be unchanging and unfailing, but it did fail us, leaving us devastated. And that is the way it will always be with any substitute for God. It will always fail. It will always disappoint us. Look again at these verses. The things you carry are burdensome. They were having to load up these gods now. They're a load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden. They themselves have gone into captivity. The gods that you have used as a substitute simply can't be trusted. They can't carry you. They can't rescue you from disaster. Now you're having to load them up and carry them yourself. They are a burden to you. But second here, God turns it around and makes this one of the most incredible and comforting promises in all of Scripture. So look at the rest of chapter 46. We're just going to look at verses 3 and 4. Not all the long length of it, but look at verses 3 and 4. God says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth. And you who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. I want to tell you what, I got those verses marked in my Bible. They're marked in my Bible. I don't have much hair anymore, but what I have is getting grayer and grayer. And this is an important promise to me. And I want to tell you why these ought to be important promises to you. I have three reasons. It's very short from here on out. First, these verses speak of God's incredible interest and involvement in the lives of his people. Have you not at one time or another taken stock of your life and just wondered, how have I made it? this far. Certainly, you know, as I know, my own weaknesses and failures, you know yours. All of us have made bad choices that set us back and might have ruined us, yet here we are. How did we get to this point? I remember in the Old Testament, David, amazed, pondering, he said, God, you've brought me so far. How is that? How do you explain that in your life? Is it a testament to your own tenacity? Or is it a testament to God's involvement in your life? What is God saying in these verses? He is telling them that he has always been there for them. His concern is not new. It's not something recent. Listen to these verses. God is saying, look, I've been carrying you since the day you were born. And I know your mother carried you in her womb 
But I need you to know that I was even carrying you then. It was my hand that overshadowed you. It was my hand that overshadowed her. It was my providence that overshadowed her life so that my hand was also guiding you and guarding you. God is saying to them, no substitute has ever carried you or been concerned about you. It has always, always been me. So take a backward look over your life and see the evidences of God's providences in your life. All of us can see those moments in our life where God was at work, He was guiding us, and He has guided us to bring us to this present moment. The moment in which we stand is a divine appointment. As God rebukes us for our dependence on substitutes, things that could never take care of us, and at the same time, calls us to reconsider his investment and his involvement in our lives. Second, these verses speak of God's consistent faithfulness. He says here, even to your old age, I will be the same. I know in some translations it reads, I am he, but in the New American Standard Bible it says, even to your old age, I will be the same. In the book of Hosea, The Bible describes man's faithfulness in this way. God says, for your faithfulness, your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. That's how faithful I am. That's how faithful you are. But in the Bible of God's faithfulness in Psalm 91, the Bible says that God's faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. The Bible says in one night, Psalm 119, verse 90, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. And at one of the most discouraging moments in Jeremiah's life, he penned a verse that one of our hymn writers picked up and made a hymn out of it. He said, God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord said, For I, the Lord, do not change. The consistent faithfulness of God is unchanging. God didn't fail you in the womb, did he? God has not failed to bring you from birth to this moment. The God who has not failed you in the past will not fail you in the future. Even to your old age, he will be the same. In good times and in bad times, in hard times, in joy and in sadness, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's important. That's important to me. It's important to you. Look, when we we were little children, like Grayson sitting here on the front pew, and we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. Man, we believe that. We believe that with all of our heart. And now, but when we're older, we think, I wonder if the Jesus who loved me then loves me now with all that he knows about me, with all my faults and my failures, with all the problems. Van talked about it in discipleship training tonight. I wanted to, I wanted to say I, I know how that feels when you start evaluating all the things you have, all the problems you have. you got this one and that one, and you start putting them on a scale, and you start weighing them, and they get so heavy. God says, I know about all of those things. I have never failed you. I'm not going to fail you as the problems and burdens of life get heavier. 
Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same Jesus who walked on the water and calmed the storm. He spoke to illness and it had no choice to obey. The same Jesus who spoke to dead dust at the time of creation and made a human life spoke to to, to dead returning to dust and call them back to life. And Jesus can speak, that same Jesus can speak to the dusty deadness in our lives. He can do that because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And the same Jesus you sang about when you were a child, Jesus loves me just I know, just this I know, is that same Jesus today and he loves you now. Finally, here's number three. The God who carried you in days that were past, who carried you into this present moment, will carry you into the future. It says, even to your old age, I will be the same, and to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. I find great promise in this verse. I find that God reminds me about when I look at it, God reminds me about when I was small and what I believed. And, and I find that in my later years that, that God is stooping, stooping not because he is weighed down by what burdens me, stooping not because he's worried down by what worries me, but stooping to pick me up and carry me, stooping to hold me up and strengthen me, stooping to sweep me up and rescue me. My God doesn't stoop because he's tired. My God stoops because he bends down to help, and he always with. What is he able to carry? Well, according to Isaiah, my griefs he carried, and my sins he carried. My Lord is so strong Jesus is so strong that God was able to lay the iniquity of us all on him. And he didn't bend under the weight of it. He didn't break under the stress of it. By his stripes, I am healed. In his youth, God promised Jacob. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's one of the first people God ever made that promise to. And in his old age, on his deathbed, Jacob made this statement in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, never failed him, not once. He found God to be faithful. The God he, who promised to carry him in the past was faithful to carry him in the, into the future. Now, I know that all of us have things about which we're concerned. We have burdens that weigh heavy on our hearts. We have questions for which we have no answers and problems for which we have no solutions, but we have an unchanging God who has promised to carry us in our concerns. Now, if this were just an Old Testament promise without any connection to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we might, we might dismiss it as old and irrelevant. But Peter says essentially the same thing. He, he writes a book and he addresses it to people who are, who are being distressed by various trials. And he said to them, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The Amplified Bible reads, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. 
Look at verses 3 and 4 again of Isaiah 46. You need to mark these in your Bible. If you're a teenager, you need to mark them because you'll need them one day. When your hair falls out or when your hair turns gray, you'll need these verses. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same and even to your graying years, I will bear you. I, will, I have done it, and I will carry you. I will bear you, and I will deliver you. And that last word is so important because it's a, it's a great promise in itself, right, right by itself. It is individual and not general. It is specific to the need and circumstance faced by the individual at the moment. It is the promise of deliverance or escape from danger, and it means to slip through. Uh, and uh, I believe it's used in Job as to be saved by the skin of your teeth. Why should God be concerned about me? He's concerned about you because he knows you. He has an incredible, incredible investment in your life. The promises that he made us when we were small don't grow old when we do. They don't change because he doesn't change. He is incredibly faithful. We can put our trust in him. Let's pray.